Well, how are y'all doing? Everybody got their Bibles out? We're going to study God's Word this morning. It's going to be good. Please open to 1 John chapter 2. And picking up practically where we left off, the beginning of chapter 2 talks uh, pretty specifically about sin. We talked about sin last week, uh, how we have an advocate. Um, then there was the the test of knowing God, how we know Him, and how His love, how the love of God is perfected in us. But I have to remind you of this verse, even though I, I, I wouldn't like to, but I have to. It's good for all of us to be reminded. In the beginning of chapter 2, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. And then he, and, and then he goes on to say, if anybody says that they do not sin, or even before this, if anybody says they do, they, they do not sin, they're a liar, and the truth of God is not in them. Now, there are some people who focus on the fact that we sin, but the, the, the problem is that I think we already know that. Do we have any perfected saints in the house tonight? Raise your hand. There's a couple of you. You know who you are. Well, I guess their hands are raised. There's one, two right there. See? I think we understand that we make mistakes, that we sin sometimes, and there's, it's not necessary to have some kind of cop-out statement like, I'm only human or something like that. The reality is we're, we're, we are humanity. We are in a sinful state, a sinful condition, and it's really our responsibility as sinners um, to repent, to acknowledge our sin. You know, someone once, uh, someone once said that the church is not a place for perfected saints. The church is a hospital <laughs> for sinners, which is the reality. We, we recognize that we're sinners. And instead of going out on the street with big banners and signs that say, you're going to burn in hell because you're a sinner, um, we can give more practical advice. And for us as believers this morning, John gives us some practical advice. That's what we're going to go into uh, in, in verse 12. The title is, is Confidence in Your Season. Knowing that we're sinful, knowing that we make mistakes, knowing that we sin sometimes, recognizing it, recognizing that we have an advocate, Glenn Lerner, who's the heavy hitter, right? No. Glenn Lerner's not our advocate. Jesus Christ is our advocate. The righteous, he is is more than capable and able to be our advocate for us. And then John goes into this section, starting in verse 12, like I said, that's really uh, the encouragement. Yeah, we know that we're sinners. Yeah, we know that we make mistakes. And instead of beating a dead horse and going over the fact of how unworthy and, and stupid, and I can't believe you keep doing that same sin over and over again, he gives us these little snippets of reminders of who we are positionally, and, and it ends up being more of an encouragement than, than a beating down or a condemnation. And it applies like we see uh, to every season of life, every season that we're in right now. And I believe that John's uh, addressing here the spiritual seasons that we go through. He starts with, in, ch- in verse 12, chapter 2, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. Somebody who is a younger believer, somebody who may not have been walking with the Lord for too long, John instructs them, that their sins have been forgiven. And we could put the period there. 
hey, I want to encourage you, little children, that your sins can be forgiven. But I think John is speaking to a spiritual attitude, potentially or possibly. See, because with, with kids, babies and little kids, a lot of the attention and focus goes where? Themselves, right? Themselves. You're the cutest baby in the world. You're the best. Oh, you're so precious. Who says that the most? Their parents. And sometimes it's not regulated, and the kids actually think that they're the best thing in the world that ever happened. And everything is done for their sake. You know, the world revolves around them, and everything is done for their sake. And what happens to those kind of kids? What happens? They're spoiled, rotten, snot-nosed brats. But there's this, this even in, in young believers, there could be this mentality that salvation and that everything that God did was just for them because they're so great and they're so wonderful and God needed them in his kingdom and he would go to any great length of the world and if they were the only one on earth, Jesus would die for them. While some of that is true, The reality is Jesus Christ did not just die so you could feel like a spoiled little brat. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the glory of the Father and for his namesake. His namesake. Let's take ourselves out of the equation sometimes and and be reminded that we're not just these little brats that God is supposed to cater to all the time. It's for his namesake. When is the last time you saw some baby dressed in this beautiful little outfit? And you said, oh, you are such a beautiful baby. You are so gorgeous. You are the most beautiful baby I've ever seen before. I cannot believe that you had the wherewithal this morning to put that adorable outfit together. You have potential that is unparalleled of any baby that I've ever seen before. Have you ever done that? No. You know why? Because the baby didn't dress itself. Even when the kids, even when you were getting a little bit older, what would happen to you if your parents let you dress the way that you wanted to? Oh, man. You know, there would be concern. Do you care about your kids? (laughs) Because why? Because how your kids go out into the world is somewhat of a, a, a great representation of you as the parents. I took my, my boys to Bass Pro yesterday. We wanted to go shoot some bows and arrows. And I said, hey, guys, jump up on that rock. Let's take a picture. I took the picture, and I, and I put it on social media. You can see it if you want. And then after I posted it, I was looking at the picture, and I was like, people can tell that their dad got them ready this morning and not their mom. Why did I post this? People are going to question, you know, why? Why doesn't Tim care about his boys? And it's not so much that I don't care about them, but I started to question whether I wanted to allow that picture out into the interwebs to be directly reflected back to me. Because you're not really going to blame them, are you? Are you going to blame the 10-year-old for not having a haircut? Are you going to blame the 8-year-old? Are you going to blame or the 6-year-old or the 4-year-old? No, you're going to say, hey, your kids look homeless. Why don't you do something? Why don't you take care of them? But sometimes kids can have that inward focus. 
And John starts out with the children, the younger people in the faith, and he says, listen, your sins have been forgiven for the sake of God's name. Your sins have been forgiven as a right representation of the Father. Man, that is powerful when we grab a hold of that this morning. Why has God forgiven my sins this morning? So that he can show the world how generous and kind and loving and compassionate and long-suffering and merciful and gracious he really is. Otherwise, he's not. And if he lets me run around like a spoiled little brat, then I don't really have forgiveness of sins for, for only my sake. I, I, I have it, but it's not reflected well on him as a father. God doesn't have to worry about bad representatives in the sense that when we are filled with his Holy Spirit and seeking him, we will represent him rightly. So yeah, you're going to sin. Yeah, sin was an issue. There's consequences. Listen, little children, be happy because your, your sins are forgiven and they were for his namesake. I would much rather my sins be forgiven for the sake of God's name than for my own sake. It's just something to say. Verse 13, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. So he's writing also to the fathers and he says, you have known him who is from the beginning. The fathers speak of the elders, speak of the elders in the church. And I believe that this is to everybody in the church, the the older in the faith that John wants to convey this word to, this message to. What is the hope and desire and passion that we should have as Christians, male or female? Is that we know God more today than we did yesterday. Is that we're able to receive from him who he is and who he desires us to be, who he wants us to be like his son, and we're able to engage with him on that level. This word know here speaks of an experiential knowledge. And sometimes as we get older in the faith, it's good to be reminded what God has brought us through. Because just like the children of Israel, they were brought through some amazing, crazy, unbelievable circumstances. And it seems like all too quickly they forgot. But they had the experiential knowledge. So God is saying, lean on me and my character of how I've always taken care of you. This is something Grace and I say to each other pretty frequently. In fact, I don't know if you saw this other thing that I that I threw out there recently, but I had this old hard drive and um, it was a terabyte. I bought it in, in Europe when we lived over there and I had dumped all of our I backed up and dumped all of our pictures from like almost 2000 all the way to 2012 when we got it all all taken off there was almost 13,000 pictures and videos of our entire lives from from dating all the way you know till till we moved back 2012 and I'd been trying to get onto this drive and it wasn't working and, and um, the, I thought the drive was dead so I took it to a guy and he's like the drive's dead it's going to it's gonna, you're going to have to take it to a clean room where they dress up in, in white clothes because I don't know why. So you can see the dust or something? I don't know. He's like, they have to dress up. So like, why don't you dress up? If that's what it takes to get the stuff off the drive? No, I'm just kidding. They have to go into a clean room and they have to you know, make sure there's no, n- nothing contaminating and they're able to take off $1,000. I'm like, man, $1,000 is a lot of money, but is it worth a, a decade of memories? And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> Just kidding. 
I would have to save up. But anyway, so I went and got a second opinion and talked to another guy. I said, hey, the guy says that this is dead. Could you look at it? I really need these pictures and stuff off of it. He looked at it. He worked on it for a couple days. He said, hey, good news. I got it. I can get it all off. The other guy was wrong. It's not as in bad shape as it was. And so I got it. I put it on another hard drive, took it home. And Grace and I are going through these pictures. And it was just like, you know, it takes you back in time. And so many times, like as, as a couple that was dating and to see our firstborn and our secondborn and Croatia and our friends and our family, you know, we had a bunch of pictures of when my family came over to Croatia to visit us one time. And it just evokes these memories of, of, of what? Of what God hath wrought, of what God had done. And today, when I start to get frustrated or tired or bummed out, it's good to remind each other, hey, what has God done? Has God not been faithful to you? Has he let you down? Has he failed you? Because if he has, then yeah, doubt and worry and try to take things into your own hands again, by all means. But is that the truth? No, it's not. And if you ever think that God has let you down, I guarantee you go back to that situation, take it apart with a fine-tooth comb, and the problem probably was not God answering or caring, but you trying to take things back into your own hands again and suffering the consequences. But we don't want to hear that. Consequences, schmonsequences. I just want my way. No, God will be faithful to care and, and John wants these fathers, these older men and women in the faith to remember that they know God. There's also two ways, in fact, we'll get to the other way when we see it, that fathers can know him. But the second and the next one is, I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Does John know people? And he knows kids, those little brats. He didn't do it for you, just for you. He did it for his own sake, but he's your, your, your good, good father. And he knows the father. He's like, listen, guys, I know that maybe you go through difficult things, but remember back how you know God, how you know who God is. You know his character. And he goes to the young men. He says, because you have overcome the wicked one. Because it seems like all the young men that I know, you know, the, the guys and the, and the gals in the middle stages of their, of their faith walking with the Lord, it seems like there's, there's a battle all the time. I remember waking up and thinking like, I am just in a spiritual battle. And sometimes I would talk to Grace, you know, even, even to this day I go through seasons like this sometimes. I, I say, I feel like I'm in a battle that I can't win. And my last name's Warhol. So you know it's got to be bad because I am a fighter. Bring it on. Let's do this, Donkey Kong. But I, I get in those, 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 those times in my life where it's like I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting. And then John says, but, but I'm, I'm writing to you that the, you may not sin. This is the, the, what it's tied to. Remember, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. It's already over. It's a battle that we keep fighting, but the victory is already done. I think it's interesting how it's the young guys, you know, and some of the old guys too, but I think the older that you get, the more detached you are from this whole UFC fighting scene. This idea of beating the opponent or overcoming. 
And John's like, in your fight with the enemy, in your fight with where you're at right now, you've overcome. And sometimes I need to hear that because it's not something that's going to come tomorrow. It's something that's already happened today. It happened yesterday. This fight, because of the grace of God, I was able to overcome. And overcome what? Overcome myself? No, overcome the wicked one. The one who sees that we have a good, right relationship with God and wants to thwart or hinder that relationship. And then he reiterates, he says some of these things again because it's important. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. This, this concept of, of the kids knowing their parents are going to take care of them. There's two words that are, no, that are here for know that we just read for the, for the fathers and for the children. Technia and pedia, respectively. Technia has more of an emphasis on a child's relationship of dependence on a parent while pedia is more of an emphasis on a child's immaturity and need for an instruction. There, there's there's a, a, a knowing that, that your parent's going to take care of you and a knowing that you need to be instructed and directed and guided in the way to go. I've written you, little children, because you have known the Father. And I, <laughs> our kids, you, when you were a kid, you knew that your parents were going to take care of you. At least that's the way that God naturally wired us. I talked last week about the Mormon guy I was talking to a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about producing fruit. And he was saying that you have to work for your salvation. And I'm saying, no, no, no. System of works is what God stopped in the Old Testament. That's why it was the Old Covenant, because he doesn't do it anymore. This is the New Covenant of grace and love through the Son, Jesus Christ. And we don't work for salvation. We don't work for a relationship with God. It's something that naturally produces fruit in our life. It's not something that I have to do. It's fruitful. It's like when one of my kids wakes me up in the middle of the night, I don't kick them off the bed because I want to go back to sleep and say, figure out, okay, sometimes I do. I got more laughs last week for that one. All right. There's, it's ingrained. It's natural. I want to care for them. I want to help them. I want the fruit of their lives to be something that impacts and influences others because of what they receive from their parents. They know that we're going to take care of them. You should know that God is going to take care of you. Have confidence in it and know that he loves you and he's for you even in the struggle and the difficulty of sin. For, verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. So there's an experiential knowledge for this know for the fathers, and there's also this, this, this uh, you know him. This is the guy you know. I don't know for the ladies if it's like this, but for the guys I think it is. It's, the, it's when you know somebody that can help you do a task or something, and, and you can't do it yourself, and it's reaching out to somebody for help. Now, you may think that's an oxymoron, that you, you guys can't ask other guys for help, but we kind of like doing stuff together. Guys like working on cars together and watching sports together and those kind of things. And, and if a guy is having a problem or, or there's something that he can't address himself and he has somebody who's an expert or he knows somebody who's really good at something, he asks them and says, hey, I know that you like doing this thing. I know that you're really good at this thing. I know that you're awesome. Let's do this together like a man. 
And I have written you fathers because you have known him who's from the beginning. You need to call somebody? You need a little help? You need a little expertise? You know the guy that was from the beginning. You think that that there's people on the earth that know certain things well? God knows things better than anybody else. And as a man, especially, you have that access to him who was from before the beginning of creation. And fathers take confidence in that fact. Oh, God, you know. I don't know. You're an expert. I'm not an expert. I don't know what I'm doing. I need you. John says, you know the Father. You know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. What a proclamation to make to a young man, right? Those words are, there's no sweeter words on a young man's ears. I know that you are strong. When, when we were in college, uh, Grace and I, when we were in college during the summer times, we would all swim around in, in the pool. It was really nice. The weather was really nice. And, and the guys, because they're guys, you know, uh, they start pushing each other in the pool. And then who's going to be the, the one that's left unwetted un, uh, by the water? Who's the last one dry so all the guys would come out and this thing would ensue? And who was dry? You guys know. Come on. I was a little guy. And there was this other guy from Idaho. They called him Biggie for good reason. And we were the last two. And we were pushing each other and going at it. And I pushed him in the water. And then somebody said to me afterwards, wow, you are freakishly strong. And I said, I know. I'm a young man. Did you have any doubts that I would get that guy in the water? And every now and again, you know, Grace, she, she knows how to stroke my ego in a way that a wife should sometimes. And she grabs my bicep and she says, you are freakishly strong. Hey, if you read some marriage books, I'm not kidding you. If you read some marriage books, even Christian books, it tells the young wives to compliment their men on their strength and and their ability as men. Because it is a way that God wired us to want to take care, to want to help, to want to have the capacity to meet the needs of others. That's why we're fix-it guys. Because we can do it. And the word of God is true. Amen? The word of God is flawless. And even God wants the young men in the faith to know you are strong. You are mighty and courageous. You are a good warrior. Keep going. Keep fighting. Be strong and courageous. Because we as young men... We need to hear that sometimes. You as young women as well need to hear that sometimes. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Where do we get that strength as Christian young men? Where do we get that confidence in our ability to lift a certain amount of weight or to do some kind of ninja obstacle course? We get it from our perspective of how God looks at us 
And the only way that we can have that perspective of how God sees us is from his word. And a young man who abides in the word and eats it and devours it and searches for God and loves him and pursues him will be the strongest young man out of everybody. It's that relationship with God, that passion to know him, and that diving into his word that makes these young men in the Lord strong. And that word is abides. That word is that which abides. And then, again, he reminds them, and you have overcome the wicked one. You're strong. You guys are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. I do think, I believe, I already said that I think this applies to everybody. We can each get some kind of nugget, what God wants us to understand from these verses, especially as an encouragement from John and how God wants us to continue and to keep going. But I think that there is a special emphasis on uh, these men, particularly in the church, who should be leading and blessing and serving others. We as men, we have to be not about ourselves because what good is our strength in and of unto ourselves? It's, it's no good. Our strength unto others is what benefits others. Our ability to help them physically and spiritually or whatever they may need because we have cultivated this strength in our lives. And the strength, again, uh, comes from the abiding word in the young man's heart. So you young men, I want to I encourage you this morning, even more so uh, than, than John has, if that's possible. Don't sit around. Don't be lazy. Don't be back and forth, wishy-washy about your faith. Step up and serve the Lord in the strength of your calling. He's given you a strong calling. He's called you strong. And he's given you not only the ability to continue to overcome, but you've already overcome. Stop making excuses about, I can't do this because of that. And I can't do that because of this. And this is too hard. And that's not hard enough. That's too easy. So I'm not going to do it. Just stop making excuses. And show yourselves as worthy of the calling that God's placed on your life. Get involved with other guys your age. Study the word more than you ever have in your life. Seek to bless and to teach and to help others instead of making excuses about how difficult life is because the truth is that we we all know that anyway. No matter what age you are, no matter what gender you are, we can all say the same things. Life gets tough sometimes. And men need to be strong in the Lord, allow the word of God to manifest through their life and be visible uh, and be visible to others how they have overcome the wicked one. Then verses 15 through 17, some very practical verses for people who are struggling with sin. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when we say world, I don't think that we have to qualify that, do we? You guys understand what he says when he means world. He doesn't mean the planet. He doesn't mean, you know, this this time and space that we inhabit and, 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 and the literal trees and mountains. He's talking about this world's philosophy. 
He's talking about what you guys see happening in the news right now every day. By the way, I know I've said this before. I'll say it again. Don't watch the news. Just don't. Don't watch the news. It's terrible, the stuff that's happening. What happened yesterday on the 15th. Unbelievable that people would do that kind of stuff to each other. And it's motivated primarily by Satan himself. And he takes more delight in seeing the destruction of this planet and the destruction of each other. And we have a decision to make today. Whether we buy into that mentality of only taking care of ourselves and preserving our life and getting the shelter ready and all the food and nobody's going to get in because we're going to survive. Survive what? Survive the apocalypse when God says, finally, enough is enough. You guys are completely off your rocker and I'm going to have to address things now. Between deciding whether we're going to follow that kind of mentality of the world or the other where we are the light. And guess where the light goes? Where the darkness is. Bummer. The light doesn't hang out with the other lights. Hey guys, what's up? Pretty pretty bright in here. You know, yeah, really bright. (laughs) Can't see anything. The light goes where there is no light. And the light is that which is different from the darkness. Because we don't respond the same way that the, that the, the world does. So the, the encouragement from John is don't love the world or the things of this world. This also speaks of materialism. Oh, I'll be happy when I get this. I'll be happy when I have this. If only I had that. I'm tired of renting. I'm tired of this job. I'm, as soon as I, I make it here. No, stop. That's the things of the world. That's the things of the world. You can be a good steward and love and follow God with all your heart and be content with what he's given you in this season right now. You can do it. Because God has provided for you. He is taking care of you. And to look at the world and want or covet or love the things of this world, it says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's kind of harsh, John. It's kind of brutal. Like, I want some stuff, right? Like, I got to have some things ready just in case. I'm not advocating that you can't have a retirement fund or you can't be responsible with the things that God's given you. But when that's where your confidence is, then it changes. And you know, listen, you know when that's where your confidence is. Because as soon as it starts to get threatened a little bit, you grab onto it harder. Now, wait, that's mine. Remember, Lord? I've been putting it aside. Wait, you know, am I going to take care of you or are you taking care of yourself? You got this whole world thing figured out? How you're going to be the one that's going to provide and, and, and take care of business? The love of the Father has been given to us so that we can love others, not so that we can love ourselves. The love of the Father has been given to us so that we can love others, not so that we can love ourselves. And the world is all about loving itself, loving myself, making myself happy. How do I feel? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Are you struggling with sin? Are you struggling in this season of your life? 
This is a good way to gauge where you're at spiritually. All that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, what the flesh wants. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people and they say to me, I know that this is what I have to do. I know that this is what I need to do. I know that this is what's required of me, but I, but I want something else. But I want something else. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. You know, Jesus said, if your, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And the only problem with that for me, if Jesus was speaking literally, which he was not, and we can talk about that in a different Bible study, the problem with me is I would be a quadriplegic who would end up begging someone to force a knife through my head. Because the sin all is up here. It's here and here. These are just instruments to carry out the sinful nature. So when we look at the world and we look at, the, the, for instance, the lust of the eyes, for us as men and women who love the Lord and trust Him and want to follow Him, what do we have to do? We have to control what we see. It seems like now in our culture, it's all about what you see. Man, I see things sometimes I don't want to see. I don't want to see because I know that it influences me. And there's a little bit of me that gets scared because I know our young people that I love so dearly, I know that they're seeing it from a whole different perspective than I, even I am. Because I have some kind of filter, you know? Like in the Lord and through a, a, a good parental upbringing, a good family, I have some kind of filter. Nowadays, I don't know what the filter has been for a 10, 14, 12-year-old. I don't know what it's like. I'm like, Lord, protect them, protect their eyes, protect what they see, protect what they open the doors of their heart to because it's more accessible and it's more uh, uh, probable and, and, and possible than ever before. That what you see, the lust of the eyes, that, that, that desire to have something, the pride of life, the pride of life, talking about guys. The pride of life is that which is the root of, of all pride. It's, it's me taking care of myself. If you notice that these three things that we just talked about in 1 John chapter 2 are the exact three things that correspond directly to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's exactly what happened to specifically Eve. First, what did she see when she looked at the tree? She saw that it was good. She saw that it would be good for eating satisfaction. You guys know me. I like to eat the tacos, the flesh, the lusts of the flesh. And Eve looks at the tree and she says, that looks like it would satisfy me. That looks like I'd like to sink my teeth into it. That looks like it would make me feel better right now. Why is it made out of chocolate? There was, a, there was an alluring of the flesh. Then what was the next thing that she said? Oh, it's pleasant to look upon. Isn't that such a girl thing too? It's so pretty. I'm so hungry and it would say, and it's also so pretty. Don't we like eating pretty things? The lust of the eyes. Looking something, beholding it. Realizing there will come some kind of satisfaction if I partake. 
and I will be doing it, uh, uh, I'll be doing it in, in style because it's, it's so sweet to look at. It's so beautiful. And then the third, what's the third? The third is Eve's confidence that, that she will be smarter, that, that she will be better, that the lie of the enemy was that if you eat it, God doesn't want you to eat it because you'll be like him. You'll be smart. You'll be discerning because it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was that pride in her life that said, I'm going to take charge. The pride of life. I know, did God really say, uh, you know, oh man, I'm, I'm hungry. It looks pretty. I can be better. I can be a better person if I do it. Make no mistake, the same applies to Adam. But when we look in our lives at this, is that how we make decisions? Are we looking at relationships? Are we looking at things that we want? Are we looking through the lenses of the world and thinking to ourselves, I can get some kind of satisfaction if I was able to do that again. I could get some kind of satisfaction if I had that car, that truck, that job, that tool set, that house. And then you look at it, and it's the eyes. I, I, I can get some kind of satisfaction if I consume it, and it just is pretty. It's just, it's pleasant to look at. Other people look at it, and they think, oh, man, that is nice. That must be Tim's. No. I don't want to associate myself with something that is just pleasant to look at because it's a lust of the flesh. And then the pride of life. This is something, again, like the baseline for pride and people's rejection of God and allowing sin to come into their life. A lot of times when you talk to somebody who's struggling, a lot of the times the essence or the root of the problem is their own pride of life. That they, They're going to take care of themselves. They're going to make this happen. I was talking to the U-turn guys because we have another guy who's graduating this, this Friday out at U-turn in Pahrump. There's one of the guys who said this thing. One of the first thing I ask people, they deal a lot, obviously, with drug addicts. And he said, one of the first thing I ask them, they're coming down off heroin, they're coming down off speed, they, they need a fix or something's happening. They're feeling the weight and the consequences of their sin. They're saying that they need help. And my response to them, always the first question is, are you willing to do anything to get clean? That just doesn't go just for the drug addict. That goes for all sinners, are you willing to do anything? Because the drug addict, if they're not at the bottom of the barrel, if, they're, if, there's, if there's any lower to go, if, if, if there's any possibility at all that they can make something happen, then they're going to say, no, I'm not willing to do anything. I'm going to help myself here. I'm going to do this there. I'm going to get a better job. I'm going to do this for myself. And the focus is always on them making something happen because of the pride that they will not identify so that God can show them that he alone is all-powerful over sin. And he has the ability to help them and the ability to take care of all the things that are going wrong in their life, but really they're not willing to submit to him fully and allow him to do that, that miraculous work that I've seen him do over and over and over and over again. 
the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. There's the, 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 the difference. However much you want to invest into this world, however much successful you are, however much money you have, however much fame, however much anything it has to offer you, you're at the top, you're the pinnacle, I'm the king of the world, you're going to America on the Titanic before it sinks. That's how it goes. You know why? The world is passing away. The world is passing away. So whatever you can gain in this world, ultimately what that means is what you've gained is what you have for a little while and then you're going to lose it. Period. But he who does the will of God abides forever. (laughs) It's not just me doing my own will to gain those things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I'm going to be somebody. I can take care of myself. I can take care of my family. It's abiding in God, allowing him to take care, allowing him to do. And that fruit that's produced goes to your account for all eternity, for all eternity. Right? Do not lay up your treasure on earth where rust and moth destroy, but lay up your treasure in heaven where thief cannot break in and steal. Rust and moth cannot destroy. And you have waiting for you there an eternal inheritance. Don't invest in this world. Don't put any stock into it. We are different. The love of God abides in us. And the love of God is demonstrated when we walk with him through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you that we can have this confidence, this great, bold confidence that you are our Father. We've known you. We will continue to know you. You continue to reveal yourself to us. We don't want to be tricked and deceived into thinking this world has something to offer us that's greater what you have to offer us because the reality is it's just all passing away. It's all leaving. God, this morning we pray that your word touches our heart, cleanses us, and brings us to a place where we're willing to respond to what your spirit has to say to us today. Give us ears and a willing heart in Jesus' name to respond to you. Amen.